Hey, dear listeners, welcome to On The Mount Podcast with OK and the and myself and Michael Onyagwa. First things first, we're going to talk about Anchor, one of our sponsors. Uh, it's a fantastic website, too. I mean, if you want to put out audio of any sort, um, it's a fantastic resource. Um, you know, you could use it to record, put out ads. It's um, a, a very efficient website that does a lot of things for you. When you go, when you just go on there, saves time, especially as a smaller business. I've been using it. We've been using it for our productions, and it's been a game changer for us. And you know, advice that you go ahead and use in the encore. Um, definitely take a take a look at it and keep keep going with it. Um, we're going into the new, the a new podcast today. You know, it's going to be about the upcoming election season. In the next couple of weeks, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about. Some of the perceptions about the um, candidates and their possibilities of winning, you know, stay tuned, talk, expect your feedback. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Thank you. All right, dear friends, dear people, welcome to the podcast, man. It's myself, Michael Nyagwa, and great and one and only uh my name is okay okay in the bay yes growing some fantastic great beards <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah i mean last time we 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 didn't do the election update in nigeria until much later and then it's been almost it's going to almost a year now I think. Mm-hmm. and you know people are talking about buhari and it's that um I, you know all that stuff but I think it's it's more hyperbolic than any other thing yeah. in Nigeria um, it's something that uh, yes schedules um, everybody's been busy um, I had a bunch of projects I had to take care of um, you've been writing and traveling traveling couple books one, you know walking on one on the way here mm-hmm. just came out so um, the man lives yeah, um, I've had uh, an interesting relationship with uh, Wale Shonika for, I would say, running uh, over uh, 40 years from when I was in secondary school and first encountered his work. And uh, so years later, I was very fortunate to fall in his orbit as, um, as, as somebody who both admired his work and who was fortunate to be mentored in a lot of ways by him. So, and so I proposed a couple of years ago that we do an interview, uh, an extensive interview, and we ended up uh, talking for close to six hours. And so the first section of the book is a reflection of my meditation on that relationship uh, from when I encountered his work in secondary school. And the second section is um, the text of that uh, five and a half hour interview that we did. So wait, is that the interview where you famously went and um, had to record it twice? 
No, that was Chinu Achebe, actually. Oh, that, oh, that was oh. Chinu Achebe. So I oh. tell that story in my memoir, Never yeah. Look at American in the Eye. So yeah. the first time I uh, ever interviewed Chinu Achebe, I interviewed him for close to three hours, and my tape recorder malfunctioned. And um, so when I came back to my hotel room, uh, my friends gathered and they wanted to listen to Achebe's voice. And I pressed the tape recorder, there was silence. I put in another tape, silence. Uh, turned out that um, for some reason uh, the tape recorder malfunctioned so I had to I had you know like dust all over my face as I called the man the next day in actually that night I called him with desperation and begged him to give me even 20 minutes if that's all he could afford but he was a very generous man so he gave me another long interview now I went back for the second interview with three tape recorders and so I sort of tell the story as one of how Chino Achebe saved my professional career because I was a young journalist at the Concord newspaper at the time and this was actually my first assignment so had I returned to Lagos without that interview I would have my career in journalism might have ended and that'd be a different story yeah so this one was uh, showing uh, you know four years 40 years yeah well the thing is as I said I first encountered Schoenker's work when I was in secondary school I read his poem Telephone Conversation I was just enchanted by that poem and so I sought out uh, other works by him and the next one that I read was uh, The Man Died which was his prison uh, his account of his prison time during the Nigerian Civil War um, and the title of my book The Man Lives uh, plays off of uh, the title of his memoir The Man Died oh. and uh, so in his uh, prison memoir he has a line which goes the man dies in all who keeps silent in the face of tyranny and I felt that um, this uh, sort of speaks profoundly to showing his moral courage and greatness that is a man who has spoken and speaks both eloquently and courageously uh, even in the face of tyranny both in our country in Nigeria but also elsewhere in the world where human rights are trampled upon hmm. so um, definitely this is um, part of the Nigerian history um, Nigerian civil war, most especially, I guess, because that, that might have been the most um, yeah. time for him, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, what happened was he actually was involved in a movement uh, during the war or in the immediate prelude uh, to the war. He was involved with some conscientious Nigerians, and their goal was both to stop. Nigeria's descent into war, but also to address the injustices that propelled war to begin with. And so his group was thinking of what they call the third way, you know, so not the way of secession, not the way of just business as usual as one Nigeria, but a reformed Nigeria that will be informed and shaped by justice. Hmm. And for, for his efforts, the Nigerian government arrested him. He'd gone to Enugu and talked to uh, General Ojuku, who was then about to lead 
Biafra into war. And um, on his return into Lagos, he was um, on his return. He was arrested, and for more than 20 months, he was kept in detention, and much of it in solitary confinement. Uh, that was in prison or in his house, a house, some kind of house. No, no, no. He was held uh, in prison, actually. Which, which would you happen to know which prison? Now? Kirikiri. Kirikiri prison. Yeah, he was yeah. in Kirikiri. And then he was moved to Kaduna. You know, so he, he went to different places. He was moved uh, to different places, and that his book, the man died, is. is is uh, is one that should be required reading. It's it's a tough book, you know, because Shurika, in some ways, is a difficult writer. But it's it's an essential book if you want to understand uh, part of the contours and the tragedies of Nigerian history. Um, uh, Shurika's book, I think, is essential for for young people who want to uh, at least have one writer's account of the role that he played um, and continues to play in a lot of ways in Nigerian history. That's interesting, man. I mean, people never, I mean, it's, it's good that we start off with the book, you know, um, even though this is the Christmas season, um, mm-hmm. this is also the um, last episode for this season. Um, you know, the next episode we're going to do, we, we, we had planned to, we had hoped to do one podcast, uh, one episode at least every month, but yeah. um, since, you know, the first season. Hopefully next year we're going to get to that stride, episode. yeah. So it, it's pretty interesting because with, with, with a Shoinka, um, his history is very, in my experience, has been very uh, different to different people. Depends on who you speak with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very similar to American politics. Depends on who you speak with. Most people think of him as um, a very um, a very bad friend. Mm-hmm. Some people, so I just, I, I, let me not use the word most. Some people think of him as a very bad friend, and some people don't because I, when I say a bad friend, I, I mean in reference to well, the people see people tend to view it from the distance. They never heard about anything he did during um, the civil war in Nigeria mm-hmm. and in other cases after that yeah. um, and there, there are other accounts mm-hmm. um, you know uh, and obviously Nigeria like in any other place a lot of people have um, I, I could call it ideologies mm-hmm. or you know they have a viewpoint and, yeah. and they, they, they want to use everything to support that viewpoint so to me it's always very interesting to hear that he actually spent 20 months for going to Enugu to go and um, have a talk I don't know what he spoke about with General Juku at the time mm-hmm. um, probably 1967 I guess or 66 I don't know what he spoke with um, General Juku at the time um, then or what, he, what his intentions were at that time mm-hmm. and the fact that he came back and he was actually arrested yeah you know I don't know probably was comfortable in, in prison but if someone takes away your freedom no he yeah. wasn't comfortable it's actually if, when you read his book it's a harrowing account when you are an intellectual and you are put in solitary confinement where social beings you know as human beings we are social animals we need the company of other human beings in order to feel uh, a certain equilibrium we need uh, to talk to other human beings we need uh, what as the cliche goes in Nigeria you know to rob minds yeah. with other humans That's true. so anytime uh, part of the most difficult things about imprisonment is actually that um, uh, that you are deprived of that social context of your humanity you know so you are um, you, you know the the manure 
the fertilizer of uh, of 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 connecting with other human beings uh, that is stripped from you is the most difficult thing about prison, you know. Uh, and in Shoyinka's case, he was held for much of his detention in solitary confinement. So he was alone. He couldn't even mix. Did like his family or anybody? No, he couldn't mix with other prisoners. Um, um, and in his account, he tells how the um, extraordinary uh, act of generosity by some of the prison warders enabled him to survive, you know, um, still there some of the um, small good books to him as a writer you need books you need to read um, he actually wrote the first draft if you like of that prison memoir on cigarette foils <laughs> on toilet paper whilst in jail it, it reminds know? me of what you just said reminds me because I haven't I haven't yet read the book and you mm -hmm. know I definitely will I mean I've seen some excerpts here and there but I haven't read the whole thing mm -hmm. but it does remind me of um, I was watching the uh, a, a, a 60 Minutes um, it, and if anybody's not familiar with 60 Minutes it's it's um, it's a and like it says a 60 minute magazine documentary program in America that comes on on Sundays and it tells um, it tells in-depth stories mm -hmm. um, it's nothing like it in America mm -hmm. um, maybe the closest thing you know in most places there's nothing like it the closest yeah. thing I've seen might be 2020 which is more yeah. like tragic stories but mm -hmm. this is just stories but I, I think it was last weekend or the weekend before the 60 minute story was about um um um, what they call it during during the the Holocaust during World War Two, yeah, and um, in places of the Holocaust, how the Nazis would the Nazi soldiers would take separate um, musically gifted kids, um, kids and adults from the general. They wouldn't kill them, and most of them wrote down um, their music on um, shackle, mm. you know, and. They were telling a story about some, um, I've forgotten his name, so, uh, I think it's Italian. Um, he, he got most of those transcripts and he was trying to transcribe them, which was mm. literally, it was close to being impossible because they were written on charcoal, they were not clear, mm -hmm. and he was trying to transcribe them and he took, it was a whole project that took him decades. Wow. A lot of funding. Well, over a decade, I think. It was mm. pretty interesting. Mm. Um, you know, so it sounds very similar to that, like him having to, you saying, he, you scribble, know, scribble, yeah, his story on cigarette foils, you know, and, um, and toilet paper and, and the like. So he was in prison for 20 months and he didn't get to see his family. I don't know if at that time he was married or if he had somebody. Yes, you know, he, well, um, at that time he he'd come back from from Britain and when he was in Britain he'd married his first uh, wife, uh, an English woman, um, who is the mother of his first uh, child, his son Alauku. Sure, you can. Yeah, I think I yeah. Um, but they had uh, separated, um, and uh, you know, by the time he came to Nigeria, um, I don't. I think he was single actually at the time. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it has still been tough. Not you know, um, if you've ever, um, I have had an experience at, at, at you know an airport where <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Long story, but it, when you get your freedom taken away for a couple, even for two days, you would know how precious your freedom is. Yeah, it's just like my um, 
my travails with with the SSS or DSS, oh, like yeah. they're called. You know, so were they you, were, you, were you detained then? Well, um, um, over a span of uh, from 2011 to 2017, they they will hold me at the airport every time I came in uh, for anything between three hours and ten hours, you know. Um, until somebody in Abuja, you know, so they would be on the phone and then eventually they would get to somebody who was higher, you know, high up enough in Abuja who would then ask them to release me. Uh, the first time they held me, I was actually supposed to, um, I was asked to report in their office in Lagos and the instructions were to uh, bring me to Abuja, but my arrest uh, became such an international. I was so widely reported in media in Nigeria and abroad that um, Jonathan, who was then the president, uh, gave instructions that my passport be returned to me and that um, I should be released and. Um, told that my name had been removed from the list of enemies of the state where my name had been put. Uh, but then uh, apparently the president, President Jonathan, had given that instruction, but nobody carried it out until maybe 2017. And perhaps it still might be there because I was in Nigeria in August. The day I came in, things were fine. I was just waved into the country. The day I was leaving, I was, you know, held back for about 15, 20 minutes and questioned about when I came and, you know, what what I came for and so on. And so it's, it's, it's particularly outrageous when you come into your country at birth and then people start asking, why did you come into the country? And my answer is, I don't owe you an explanation. I was born in this country. I'm a citizen of Nigeria. If I can afford the ticket, I can just get on a flight and come in, you know? You know, but, but that that is an honest answer. And that question is like quintessential question you can you get from Nigerians. Yeah. People all over your business. Why did you why are you come yeah, here? Yeah. What's your problem? Yeah. Why are you asking me? <laughs> no, during Abacha's time I had a you know, Abacha's regime was particularly um, edgy around uh, journalists and so my Nigerian passport at the time stated that my profession was journalist. And so I arrived in Nigeria and um, they uh, SSS, I didn't know there were SSS people at the time, said to me, uh, you're a journalist, why are you in this country? And I said to him, look at the passport, meaning I'm a Nigerian citizen. You don't ask a Nigerian why he's in this country. And the fool began to go through the pages of my passport, perhaps looking for a, pa a, a page where I wrote an essay why I was in Nigeria. So once he went through and didn't see any such essay, he said to me, answer my question. And I said, what was your question again? He said, why are you in the country? I said, you don't ask a Nigerian why he's in this country. This is my country. And he said to me, uh, do you want to tell me that the government that put me here doesn't 
know what he's doing, I said to him, if the government put you here to ask Nigerian citizens why they're in their country, then that government is irresponsible. And he said, ah, okay, today you tell us where you learned that you are a grammar and so on. So he took my passport and I began to follow him through a maze of people. <laughs> and so eventually he saw uh, apparently a superior officer and he said to him, sir, this man said that the government is stupid. <laughs> that was so, a summary. Yeah, that's a summary. <laughs> so the officer said, hey, Mr. Man. So I said, no, I didn't say the government was uh, stupid. I said, he asked me, why was I in the country? And the man then said to me, the superior officer said, so what did you answer? I said, I told him that you should not be asking Nigerians why they are in their country. And then that officer, superior officer, said exactly the same thing. He said to me, so do you think that the government that put him here is foolish? I said, let me tell you what I told him. If the government put him that here at the airport to ask Nigerians why they came into their country, then that government is irresponsible. And um, so I guess because I spoke uh, without fear, um, he began to think that maybe I was connected to somebody powerful, somebody famous. And um, so he took my passport. He was trying to maybe connect. Is there anybody with the, my same last name who was a, a, an important, powerful person in the country? And then finally he said, oh, is it because you're a journalist? I have trained more than 20 journalists who are bigger than you. And yeah. he threw my passport on the, on the ground. And I picked it up and moved on. Yeah, that was a typical, that was a typical, I mean, you know, but that was a typical Nigerian thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, man, so, I mean, back to the book and, um, and, uh, cause I mean, it's really interesting to, um, um, I don't know how many, um, biographies have, might have been written or this, if this is the first one. By? On Shoenka. Oh, no, no, no. Shoenka, Shoenka has a whole library of, of books on him. And he's written um, a massive number of books. Shoenka has written Akeda, Years of Childhood. He's written Ishara, Voyage Around Essay. He's, he's written Ibadah, The Penkelemes Years. He's written um, um, You Must Set Forth at Dawn. You know, so he's been a particularly prodigious writer. Um, both about his life and about uh, the Nigerian situation, and then lots of lots and lots of scholars have written uh, books about him and so on. So um, he's one of our major writers, really, uh, globally speaking, and so he's attracted um, a, a huge uh, anthology of books. I think that the particular uh, attraction of my book is that uh, a sense of intimacy, you know, that um, well, as he told me that this is perhaps the um, most exhaustive interview he's done in a long time and perhaps the last one. So anybody who wants to get a measure of showing Kaz ideas about Nigeria as a country, about Africa, about the world that we live in, about literature and his involvement in it, as well as the involvement of other African writers, um, uh, would do well to read my book. That's a good, that's a good, um, 
I mean, that's that's a good angle to to want to take out the book and read. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, so it it gives an intimate look on Shrinker, and um, you know, were you commissioned? You decided to write it, or the publishers wanted it, or well, what happened actually was that um, a, a group in in New York, they, um, uh, I think. Um, What's the name of the group again? Um, uh, it, it's called the Social Science Research Council. So it's it's um, um, it's 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 it's, it's a, a scholarly group in New York City, and they commission uh, work on projects that are of interest to them. So they typically would commission social scientists to write on, you know, peace, uh, on reconciliation efforts uh, in different parts of the world. And so they proposed that I do an interview with Valesha Inca to sort of reflect on Shoinka's role during the Nigerian Civil War, during the Biafran War, but also uh, Shoinka's role in um, the Niger Delta, um, in conflicts uh, in a, a place like Rwanda, uh, Shoinka's um, Involvement in South Africa, you know, his Nobel when he won the Nobel Prize in 1986, uh, his lecture, uh, this past must address is present, focused on the drama of racial um, impunity in South Africa. And he proposes that South Africa must come into the modern world by giving up its creed of racial superiority or that the world should act to force it to give up that creed. Uh, so in a lot of ways, that essay is very prescient, very um, prophetic about what would ultimately happen in South Africa. And he's had run-ins, you know, there was a time when he was insulted in South Africa and he decided to boycott the country and reject speaking engagements there. But, you know, so in my book, it, it tells a story of how he ultimately changed his mind and continues to go because, you know, one of so, the things so about showing when, when it was boycotted, that was before uh, 93, before um, the... No, 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 just quite recently, you know. Oh, um, it was? Yeah, oh. yeah, you know, well, quite recently. That's interesting because, I mean, there was the recent thing that, that happened... In uh, in the U.S. In South but, Africa, where they had the um, um, xenophobic episode series. Yes, yes. It was more yes. of a series than it did. Mm-hmm. But they had a bunch of attacks on people. Yes, um, yeah. So if you reported mm-hmm. that here, I'm also if you mm-hmm. don't, you know, anybody mm-hmm. dying over yeah. that is serious. Um, you know, they were reported deaths and stuff like that. Um, so you know, it was it was it was um, was it within that period? Or? No, this was uh, pre that period actually. Uh, even though those xenophobic attacks have, you know, they come periodically. You know, um, but Shoinka went to South Africa, you know, to give a lecture, and uh, the immigration people really were particularly nasty to him. Well, this year, 2019. Uh, no, no, this was some years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, and so he decided, I'm not going to ever accept a speaking engagement in South Africa. You know, but in, interestingly, he talks about 
how he came to change his mind because one day he went to the airport to receive somebody and he saw Dennis Brutus, the late, now late, uh, great South African poet, had been invited to come give a talk in Nigeria and arrived thinking he could get a visa at the airport and the Nigerian immigration had detained him and they were <laughs> telling him that he will be deported. And so he saw Wole Shoenika and said, ah, Wole, you know, so Shoenika said, what are you doing? And he explained uh, what had happened and the immigration people were going to deport him. And Shoenika said he had to make all kinds of calls and to tell people uh, that this would be a big scandal, that this a man used to... Uh, um, you know, was shot by the South African apartheid regime because of his opposition. He's, you know, he wrote some of the most resonant poetry against apartheid. Uh, he traveled all over Africa, traveled all over Europe and America. So if he would be thrown out of Nigeria, that would be a scandal that Nigeria could not mm. um, uh, leave. And so he managed to get uh, Dennis Brutus into Nigeria and he said he was discussing this uh, subsequently with a South African guy and telling him of his own uh, sort of pro issue with South Africa and the man persuaded him to also uh, start returning to South Africa so so th there are lots of those kinds of personal stories uh, in the book and uh, of course one of the more recent controversies that showing uh, uh, swollen around him is that uh, he said that if Trump became U.S. president, that he would uh, give up his green card. Yes. And uh, so when Trump won, some Nigerian trolls and social media were saying, okay, do what you said you were going to yeah. do. And uh, showing... Uh, uh, was pretty upset and lashed out at these trolls. And uh, so in the interview, he explains the whole thing and actually uh, he'd, um, he'd uh, torn up his green card, as he said. Did he? And, oh, yeah, he did, you know. Um, mm. So some Nigerians said, oh, you know, he said he would never come to the U.S. again. That's not what he said. He said, I'll tear up my green card because he was a resident, permanent resident in America. And he said if Trump won because of Trump's rhetoric, which Shoenka considered racist, Shoenka said, I'm not going to be, uh, regard, have America as my place of permanent residence if Trump became so president. Is it that he tore, physically just tore the green card or like he, he wrote it in and gave it up? Gave it up Because people do that every year. People yeah, yeah. The no, he, 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 he tore it up. He tore it up. And, you know, and... Uh, and As he gave it up. He cut it up. Cut it up. That was and, and, well, I mean, and, and, I mean, I mean, that's cool. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yes. That's cool. But, you know, it's it's what he said he'll do and he did. Yes. Yes. But people might have implied that he would, which a lot of people do, by the way. You yes. know, somebody like Tina Turner yes. gave up her, her citizenship, yeah. even though she was born here. Mm -hmm. Her parents are all, mm -hmm. her grandparents, great grandparents. And mm -hmm. she lives in Switzerland. Yeah. Because of taxes. People typically do for, to that for taxes. Yeah. Notes not to people. Mm -hmm. Cheat code. <laughs> 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 when you start making money in America, America, you 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 start seeing taxes. That's mm -hmm. what people talk about. So, you know, he tore it up. He tore it up. If he said he would tear it up, and he tore it up, he tore it up. People might have implied that he was going to give it up because tear it up, you can get another one if you want to. No, you know, no. He, he okay. The other thing he did is that he actually wrote to the 
uh, U.S. embassy okay. in Nigeria and told them he was giving up his green card. So he went, and so when he travels to the U.S., he gets um, he gets a visa. You know, he okay. goes for a visa. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, if that's the case, then that, that means mm-hmm. he tore it up mm-hmm. and then gave, he gave it up and tore yeah, it up. Yeah, he gave it up. Yeah, he gave it up okay. and he notified uh, the appropriate authorities, U.S. authorities. Okay. So yeah. if you want to check, I think the list comes out every year, so you mm-hmm. can Google mm-hmm. it. So and I asked him, I said, I said, well, if uh, when Trump's presidency ends, you can always, and he says he's not interested in revisiting the question. So it's not like if uh, somebody else becomes president tomorrow, he's going to go and say, okay, give me uh, another green card. He says it's, you know, um, at any rate, if he wants it, he has to start applying over because he's renounced it in writing. Yeah, and uh, typically, so typically I don't yeah. like giving it back once yeah. he wants to yeah. anyway. So I mean, if he did that, man, kudos to him. Shows um, mm-hmm. level of integrity. Um, I don't know how, how long he had it before he gave it up, but for quite a few years. I mean, uh, Shoinka has been uh, he's been a visiting professor at different U.S. universities. You know, it's taught at Cornell, Yale. Um, 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 was this university in Atlanta? Um, Emory? No. Emory University. Emory? Oh. Yes, Emory. Uh, Mary, um, is it Marymount in California? Mary so, Mount, yeah. yeah, so he's been a visiting professor at uh, numerous uh, American yeah. universities and all. That's interesting, though. Mm-hmm. So, about the book, what else about the book would you, you know, what, what, what other things about the book would you like to highlight? Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's a very expansive conversation. So, you know, um, some people love my introductory essay, you know, uh, which is actually in two parts. So one is about the drama of encountering Shoinka's work for me. Um, and then how I ultimately met Shoinka, the person. And in 1986, when he won the Nobel Prize for Literature, becoming the first African to win uh, the Prize for Intellectual Achievement, I was one of two uh, writers um, at uh, the Guardian newspaper who went to interview him in Abiyokuta at his home. And from that moment, he and I became close. And he's been uh, he's been an inspiration and a champion. I've been very fortunate, you know, he's a champion of my work. Um, I tell the story, for example, in my memoir, there's a chapter called How Wole Shoinka Saved My Christmas. Um, so that's in Never Look an American in the Eye, my American memoir. So I tell a little bit of that story, glancingly, if you like, in this book. But what happened was that when I finished my first novel, Arrows of Rain, I was looking for a publisher in, in, in the U.S., and uh, Abacha was in office, and Shoinka was in exile. Where was he here? Uh, yeah, Shoinka was in America. Oh, he was at Emory University at the time, but he was traveling around the world, you know, rallying um, international opinion and uh, uh, forces against Abacha. And so he came to speak at um, uh, a university in, uh, in Amherst. Uh, Hampshire College and um, so I went to the talk with a copy um, of my manuscript the manuscript of my novel 
And I wanted to ask him if he would read it and help me find a publisher. But once I got to the talk, uh, I thought about it. I said, this is unfair. This man is in exile. This man is traveling around the world. Abacha has sent him, tried him in absentia, basically would kill him if Abacha had a hand on him. And I said, why would I go and burden him with reading my manuscript? So when I got to the talk, I decided to leave the manuscript in my car. And I went to the lecture, and it was a packed hall um, that by the time I came, there were no seats left, so I sat uh, I stood in the back with, and I stood next to uh, a Nigerian uh, professor from Dartmouth College, Ifi Amadume, the great uh, feminist scholar. And as Shunika was speaking, describing the darkening landscape in Nigeria, at one point, Professor Amadume turned to me and said, okay, this is a tragedy of our country that Abacha will sit in the country and be in control and a man like this one will be out of the country as an exile. So Shoinka finished his talk. Uh, once they announced that, you know, this was the last question, I began to walk down toward the podium where he stood. And so as soon as they ended the event, I stood in front of him and he saw me and he shouted, ah, okay, you came. I said, yeah. So he said, one of my professors, because I had gone, I'd done my uh, master's and ultimately my PhD at the University of Massachusetts. So he said that one of my professors had told him at lunch that I had written this fascinating manuscript. And he said to me, I hope, can I get to read it? Now, this is something that I had in my car, right? I was going to beg him to read it, but I just felt this would be ungracious of me. So once he said, could I, could I read it? I said, oh, I happen to have a copy in my car. Let me go get it. And he said, no, if you give it to me here, yeah, I'm still traveling, speaking, I'll lose it. He said, send it to my office at Emory. So he wrote me his address at Emory University. So I sent it to him. This was October. I think October of 1997. And um, so every week I'll call his office uh, in, in, in Atlanta, at the Emory University, and I say, oh, you know, so the secretary will say, oh, Professor Schoenka is in France or he's in Australia or he's in Germany, you know, Schoenka is constantly, you know, my joke with him is that his address is in the air. Mm -hmm. You know, any particular time, if you guess that Schoenka is up in the air, you have, you know, the odds of you being right because the man is traveling, you know, with such scandalous uh, frequency, you know, frequency. yeah, uh, for, for a man of his age, I can't do a quarter of, you know, the kind of traveling that Shurinka does and still be together. My body will just fall apart, but the man is 85 and is constantly traveling. Anyway, so I'll call and the secretary will say, oh, you know, he's not in, he's in uh, somewhere abroad. And I'll say, okay, just tell him that I called to greet him. And Shoenka will get the message because he was checking with the secretary. He'll be told that I called. And he was such a generous man. He will call me and say, okay, I hear you called. I say, oh, yeah, I just called to know how you're doing. And he will say, I know you want to know if I've read your manuscript. I haven't, uh, but I'll read it. And so we kept going like this until Christmas of 1997. So some... 
American friends of ours, some Caucasian friends had invited us to spend Christmas with them. And, um, and they wanted us to spend the entire day. So we went and we had lunch and we had dinner and I didn't see rice and I didn't see goat and I didn't see chicken. <laughs> now, in Nigeria growing up, every Christmas, I looked up forward to Christmas as a young, as a child, because that was the day everybody cooked rice. That was the day everybody made chicken and goat meat, right? And so here I was facing culinary trauma, because this was my first Christmas when I hadn't eaten rice or good. So these American mm. friends had made potatoes, and they, made, they, they had made lasagna, <laughs> they had made all kinds of other things, beef and everything, you know, sort everything of, but that chicken. Everything but chicken and everything but rice. Yeah. So, Jell-O rice, right? Uh, well, uh, rice and, and so, stew. So rice and, rice so, and so, so good rice. Yeah, precisely. Would have done. <laughs> and so, um, these Americans actually the plan was that we should spend all day and spend be there at their home till midnight but about 10pm I said I called my wife aside I said this is the first Christmas when I haven't eaten rice and chicken I said it's too late to make chicken but we must go home now we must make an excuse and run home once we get home I'm going to boil some rice and eat it because I said I don't want to be traumatized by a Christmas day when I didn't eat rice. And so we told our guests, our hosts, sorry, uh, some story and we ran off. And, um, and then we, 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 we came home and I just scooped up some rice and, you know, in my hand and put it in a pot and set it to a fire, you know, set it on the, on the oven, on the stove, sorry. And uh, then we, I noticed that we had a lot of messages on our home number, so we began to play those messages. And one of those messages was, was from Wolosheinka, so he said, I'm calling OK to wish you and your family Merry Christmas. And by the way, I've just finished reading your manuscript, and he said, I found it really highly evocative. So I went and turned off the stove. So after a while, my wife saw that the rice that I was supposed to be cooking was not boiling. So she said, oh, who turned off the stove? I said, I did. She said, but why? Didn't you say you had to come home and eat rice? And I told her that Shoinka's message was better than rice, that Shoinka <laughs> had saved my Christmas. So in my memoir, there is a chapter called How Will Shoinka Save My Christmas? But speaking of which, you know, you're talking about the traveling, that the man, the man is in disguise more mm-hmm. than any other place. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you came across, there was this, um, what was the term I'd use? There was this, um, um, I, I call them um, internet debates. Even though sometimes they spill into homes and friendships. And, mm-hmm. You know, Shrinker is on the plane, something about um, yeah, um, some young man. Shrinker was on the wrong oh, seat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if you and, saw that. And the young man insisted that he get his seat. Oh, you know. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I, I don't, I didn't follow the entire story, but mm-hmm. what kind of like, what I kind of got from it was that people um, felt Shrinker was entitled well, so I discussed that with Shoinka. And Shoinka, oh yeah, I discussed oh, yeah, it with him. Um, Shoinka 
was um, felt that this is one of the busybody things that Nigerians do. He said that the young man was quite respectful. The young man came and told him, this is my seat. You know, Shoenka got on the flight. And the man has the right to sit on his seat. Yeah, precisely. Shoenka got on the flight, maybe thought that, you know, went to the window, which he liked. Uh, the young man came and said, sir, that's my seat. He said the young man was respectful. And he moved for the young man. He said, end of story. He said they actually, you know, talked, you know. But some Nigerians who saw this felt that, oh, if somebody like Shoenka is sitting someplace uh, on your seat. You should just let it be. Well, that's what I would have done. If I saw Shurinka sitting on my seat, I would say, ah, sir, you know, that is my seat, but please sit there. And there was right? the other school of thought that, uh, you know, Shurinka was, was an arrogant... Shurinka wasn't... Shurinka said, said, you know, the guy told him this was his seat that he got up for him. He said he didn't take any offense at all. You know, he said he and the young man... Uh, held conversations, you know. So yeah, he, and the reality that there was nothing in that. Yeah, I mean, so he said it happens off flight for those for those of us that tend to travel. Yeah, you know, it happens. Like, yeah. Uh, so okay, Shoenka, cool. for Shoenka, this was a massive non-issue, you know, which some people inflated, and um, you know, of course, some people wanted to insult Shoenka. Oh, you know, doesn't some, he see? Quite, quite a lot. Yeah, quite a Who, quite you know, why would he go and sit? You know, Shoenka said he wasn't offended and that there was no, he didn't resist when the young man, I know Shoenka, Shoenka would not resist. You know, if you say you're sitting in my, you know, my assigned seat, Shoenka is not the kind of person who says, oh, I'm Shoenka, you should go elsewhere. That's what some people no. made it sound like, whoa, no. who is this kid? No, you he's not. Yeah, God you know, so I think some people were upset because, uh, you know, they would defer, which is what I would do, Right. I'll do it not for just for showing you, right? I'll yeah. do it if, if I walked into a flight and an elderly person is, you know, sitting on my seat, right? Oh, if it is a younger person, I might say, that's my seat. But even for a younger person, I might say, you know, you, you sit there. Um, but so some people who felt this young man had an obligation to 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 defer to Shoenka and how dare he ask Shoenka to stand up were the ones who started this whole nonsense. And so I saw it on Facebook and, you know, it took on a life of his own and people were using this as, as an opportunity to heap uh, abuse oh, yeah. on, on the young man and some people t- as an opportunity people. to u- heap abuse on Shoenka. And, then, you know, which is part of... But and Shoenka actually in, in this book speaks about his reserve, his profound reserve about the social media, which I also share to one degree, you know, to some degree. Because, you know, you see um, people actually who face all kinds of frustrations come to social media to pump themselves up. Bingo. So I remember I, when I, I, I wrote a column, right, I, in Nigeria. I, 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 so I like to call them... Um, um, Internet warriors. Internet warriors. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> and, and, and you know, the, the, the whole thing is, is, is funny because, you know, I used to, I will write a column, you know, I'll write a column Mm-hmm. And somebody will go and write, okay, Ndibe, shut up, you know, shut up, you know. And they felt 
that they've done something. And the same person will then see you I can't say uh, at an event. I want to take a picture with you. We can't say anything, man. But yeah. I, 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 that's where a lot of people are. Like me, if I if I if I read it and I saw you, that's that's one problem. I'm gonna look at you and be like, yo, bro, yeah. didn't you you were the one that told me to keep no, quiet? You, you know what I do? Do you know what I do? What? When they when they write to me, okay in the bay, you know, shut up. You know, I, I write yes sir. <laughs> or, or they said to me, go and sit down. I say, I'm sitting down. Should I stand up? You know, so because it, it, you don't take such things seriously, but that's unfortunately. So, you know, so sometimes, right, yeah. which is part of the conversation, because I don't mind people disagreeing with me, even disagreeing yeah. vehemently uh, and vigorously oh, yeah. with anything I write. But there are people who see the headline of your column they haven't read the column and they respond based on you know based on the headline right yeah and then sometimes when they respond they then heap abuse on you um you know um if i happen to have written against uh uh, taken on a Yoruba politician, for example, and some Yoruba person who doesn't know that I have a reputation as an equal opportunity uh, offender, offender <laughs> of anybody who contributes to the misery in our country. You don't, you Whether you're you don't discriminate Ibo, with your bullets, but you're, you're, you're written bullets. So sometimes, so so I, I take on a Yoruba politician, and so some Yoruba kid finds this, and he says, "Oh, okay, in the paper, his name is Ibo." So he must be attacking a Yoruba person because he's Yoruba. And he said, are you Igbo people? And then you see Igbo people defending me because I took on a Yoruba um, house of Fulani. Yeah, they're, they're, defending, they, they're defending you with... Um, um, with ignorance, with yeah. equal ignorance, yeah. really. Because I mean, then, then the following the, their week... Their conclusion yes. in this case is probably right. Yes. But they're not doing... Yeah. Yeah, everything is all about what this guy so, so, defends. So, so it's like the following week, right? The following week, I would then take on, a, in, on an Igbo politician. Then the Yoruba people will say, ah, we like you. Yeah, you know, you are broad-minded. Then Igbo people will start calling you Efulefu. You're attacking your own people. They understand? And, and that sort of thing, the fact that our young people these days don't take the time to learn the art of disputation. So if you have studied... If and you it's have all the, over the world, by the way. It's all over the world. Yeah. And that's part of what the internet has unleashed. The internet has, has democratized speech. So Democra the, Democratized idiots. Yeah, and it's democratized. <laughs> yes. It's also democratized idiocy, right? Yeah. Because in the past, if somebody wrote something, it was probably in the New York Times, right? Oh, yeah. And if you wanted to write a rejoinder... Yeah, if you wanted to write a rejoinder... You have rejoinder, to write it down to the You had to read what they've written what the person and has written point and, and it to them. precisely oh, then, the agree to take it. then the editors of the New York Times or some other newspaper will say okay this doesn't meet our standards or it meets our standards they'll publish it but now you can create your own website oh, yeah. you can go on Facebook yeah. and somebody has taken time studied an issue and written on it somebody who hasn't studied it at all will just come and say to you go and sit down you know <laughs> yeah you're a fool sit down you know yeah. and they feel exactly. and they will go and be drinking beer and say oh, I finished uh, Wole Shonika today exactly. you know? <laughs> meanwhile Wole Shonika is not aware of your resistance Yo, I'm <laughs> telling you man I know you don't um, get into it man it's crazy because I I don't know the amount of um, 
I don't know the number of the amount of groups, uh, WhatsApp, um, other groups. You know, long-standing friends I have, mm-hmm. um, both from high school, college. Um, the amount of people that shared that video, it was constant. Almost everybody that had a Nigerian mm-hmm. theme. What else? But out somewhere here in the US, I'm having a group with mm-hmm. them. People shared that. Like, look at what he's Look at what he's feeling like. Oh, look at this young man. First things yeah. first. The young man had the right to ask for his seat. I yeah, applaud the absolutely. guy. You know, it wasn't. You don't. It's a personal preference. Mm-hmm. If you choose to be like, oh, shoot. That, this is just my own opinion. This mm-hmm. is why I saw it. I, I didn't ask you prior to this. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I was like, okay, no, I was going to ask you. But mm-hmm. I didn't ask. I wasn't spoken about it. I didn't say anything about it. I was like, if you come in and you decide it's my seat, mm-hmm. it's, I, I think it's incumbent on a human being. Hopefully, you've had uh, training and experience. Mm-hmm. It's incumbent on a human being to sit down and be like, um, you know, say it in, in an appropriate manner. Yeah. Excuse me, sorry. Um, that's my seat. You know, yeah. people make mistakes. Uh, a lot of people don't do those things intentionally. Yeah. Just a comment on a human being. And, you know, you get up and if you choose yeah. to just be like, I, I might have been like, oh, shoot, because I like relationship, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my seat. And I was like, not one. Sit up yeah. there. I'm just letting you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in case yeah. somebody comes. That's right. That that might have been my own approach. And that's, but that's showing, just for and, me. And that's Shoinka's approach. Shoinka felt <laughs> the young man did not do anything wrong. Shoinka did not take any offense at all. So he's, he felt. So when I called him, he said, okay, I, you know, sat maybe you know I think he must have sat there thinking oh it's not a full flight so maybe nobody is assigned here right the kid came said that's my seat he said oh I moved from him he said that was the totality of that exchange it was a massive issue yeah oh yeah I I saw it It I I saw it which was was, I saw it which was why I called him this happens all the time all the time yeah happens people just do that and you have to respect for that and you know I've had occasions where I've been on flights and your seat is a certain number and you miscalculate, you sit in front or you, you sit go. behind. Yeah, it happens. And, you know... Somebody some, comes in and you look, yeah. oh, shoot. Somebody comes and says, oh, that's my seat, but if you want to sit there, sit there, you know, and I say... I just thought the majority know. of the people were trying to... Um, I, I thought a lot of people, a, yeah. a large number of people yeah. were trying to, like... <sighs> Drag Wally Shrinker down, which I think if I was... You know... There are a lot the, of things you could, the, you could the, criticize the, the man for. The, there is something interesting that, that's been happening in Nigeria. So Wally Shrinker in 2015 wrote that a, a grudging endorsement of Buhari, you know, saying that Jonathan had, in his view, failed as a leader. And he had been very, very critical of Buhari in the past, but he now said he thought that given the profundity of Jonathan's failures that, you know, Buhari should be the person. And for a lot of Nigerians, that singular act, that singular act has, in the lingo of the day, cancelled the man, cancelled Wolishenka. So it's as if Wolishenka as a person doesn't exist anymore. But that's, for, that's, that's uh, typical of a political discussion, to be fair to people. Yeah, but, 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 you know, somebody like Wolishenka, do you understand? Who has a history. But people don't care in passion. Yeah, that, but I think the part of the drama here 
is a profound ignorance that reigns amongst young people who don't even have, there are lots of young people in, in, in the world, and but we're talking specifically of Nigeria, whose understanding of history, whose idea of history is what they read yesterday in Punch newspaper. Is history. <laughs> so, well, it, so it is history. The, the, it's the, history of yesterday. So, 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 so <laughs> these young men and women look at a Wallachian and they don't know the work he's done in the world. You understand? Because, you know, so I have friends too who should know better who say, Oshoinka did this. And therefore, you know, he's a charlatan, he's an idiot, he's this and that and that. And I say to themselves, go pick a mirror and look at yourself. If you can examine your life, a lot of the young men, a lot of my the people of, of my generation who are critical of Wallachian Inca have not done one millionth of what Wallachian Inca did before he turned 30. Do you understand? I'm where I'm close to. I'm going to be 60 next year. Damn. Do you understand? Coming up, party coming up, man. That's right. No, I don't, I don't celebrate birthdays. So that's, it's, that's, not for, it's not for you, it's for us. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't show up. If you want to throw a party, I'll call the police. I, I famously oh. don't show up. And my wife oh. knows it. I I'll, don't I'll, I'll, I'll don't. call the police. Like uh, well, trust me, even if you put Homeland Security, they won't find <laughs> okay, me. Okay, now. Keep trying. <laughs> you know. but, but so here it is, right? All right. I once wrote a piece called an, uh, something like an apology to Wole Inca. And I wrote that piece because um, I'd have to read it again to refresh my memory. But something had happened in Nigeria. A series of things were happening. And on Facebook and on other social media, young men and women in their 20s and 30s and 40s we are writing. Uh, why hasn't Wolishonika speak spoken? Why is Wolishonika? Why hasn't he spoken? And it annoyed the heck out of me. This man, when he was barely thirty, raided a radio station alone. Raided. He stormed a radio station in Ibadan, where the wrong results for the Western region elections were about to be announced. And Wolesho Inca went there at gunpoint and forced them to remove the tape. Wait, gunpoint is that he took a weapon there? Yes, yes, Oof. he went with a gun. That uh, dude's gangster, man. Do you understand? <laughs> and and, and then he, he, he forced them to read his own statement where he told the uh, premier of the Western region to skip town. Wait, wait. In, in Nigeria then, people had all these kind of weapons, right? So it was yeah. hard for Sh- Sh- Okay, Shoinka is a big, Shoinka is, is famous for hunting. Ooh, so well, a lot of weapons. Shoinka goes into the, into the forest for days, sometimes for three or four days Guys to hunt. hunt. Oh yeah, he's yes. a professional he's hunter dude, and he goes with <laughs> guilds of hunters. Are you, you know, me? He's my kind of dude. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you look at his freezer, is filled with game that he himself shot. You know, so when you read his books, uh, if you read his book, uh, you must set for that dawn. He talks about his hunting activities. So Shoinka is at home with guns. 
you know, he has a selection of. So he had he had he had the weapons then. He just yes, walked and grabbed yes, one, yes. went to the radio so, station and just. So he forced them to stop the pro, the the broadcast by the then premier Kintala, and he, they substituted his own there. So there was a manhunt for him. He was arrested and tried, but he was acquitted on a technicality. Now this is a man who was thirty, and he's acting in this brave, decisive way. Against injustice in this country. This is a man who took on the monster Idi Amin at a time when other African intellectuals were coddling Idi Amin, trying to invent virtue for Idi Amin. Shoenka said, No, we have an anti man here, he said. He said, we don't have uh, some great uh, revolutionary that Europe hmm. is trying to, uh, to paint in unflattering colors. He said, we have a monster here. At, you know, so it took courage. Shoinka has stood, there's a group called, um, uh, what is it called, if you give me a moment, uh, the Cities of Asylum. There's a program called the Cities of Asylum where s some cities in the world identify themselves as Cities of Asylum where they give asylum to writers who are besieged by their home countries, okay? Shoinka was the one of the founding spirits. And so this has become a global phenomenon. This man spoke courageously when uh, 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 the Iranian mullahs issued a fatwa on Salman Rushdie that he should be killed for writing his novel Satanic Verses. Wulisho Inka came out and, you know, issued a powerful statement condemning the Ayatollah. And because of it, the Muslims, some uh, fanatical Muslims in Nigeria then issued their own death sentence on Wulisho Inka. This is a man who has shown courage again and again and again. And so you have young men and women who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And Wale Shoenka is in his 80s. Something is happening. He says Shoenka hasn't spoken. Did Shoenka sit around in the early 60s and say, oh, the people who are in their 80s haven't spoken? No, he spoke. He acted. He took a gun. He went to a radio station and he seized a thing. Wow. Do you understand? This is the man we're talking about. Okay? So I feel riled when I see people. So I, to be clear, Shoenka's, I disagree with Shoenka's endorsement of Buhari. I disagree with it. Well, for, was it the uh, last elections? No, the one, the first, two, one. The, the first one. Okay. In the last one, he endorsed Kinsley Moagalo, who was who happened to be the person I also endorsed. Now, what are people? What were people saying? Oh, Kinsley Moagalo couldn't win, so why did Shoinka endorse him? I said, you are idiots. <laughs> you know, because now let's you could size him for okay. endorsing so Barry people, Roy, people you know, award Shoinka, um, ascribe to him powers that he doesn't have. Okay. So, people want to claim that Buhari won because Wale Shoinka supported him. So Shoinka is now implicated in the in the um, in the uh, tragic policies of Buhari's government, mm -hmm. right? Oh, apparently, but 
Because how come? People. How come when he when he endorsed Kingsley Mangalo, they did not? He did not win. He didn't even, even, even rattle much. Man. Precisely. So. Precisely. So so Shoyika made a decision, which at that time he felt that, and he made it clear that he wasn't making a happy endorsement. But the truth is, Nigerians tend to forget that Jonathan was a comprehensive failure as a president. Now, Buhari, Buhari has turned out, Buhari has turned out to be to have added, compounded that failure. Right? It's a whole new level for what I've seen. But you will never, sure, you guys, not. You will never know how somebody's going to turn out. All I can say, so do you understand? All yeah. I can say is, if you have failed me at something, if you have failed me and I say, oh, I can't support a mecca to go back. So I'm going to support, uh, you know, Dio. Okay? I wouldn't know. All I know is that you have failed. Dio may come in and fail more than you did, right? Mm-hmm. But at the point I'm making that decision, I don't know that. Shoinka will not... Have no, well, Shoinka knew that Buhari was not a particularly inspiring military dictator. Okay? So, so he knows that. But Buhari also had promised that he had learned the ways of democracy. Shoinka did not give him blanket endorsement. Shoinka, you know, endorsed him grudgingly. Okay? I said, given the choices, the poor choices we have, right? It's just like in the last elections in America, which, you know, I don't want to get into too much, but a lot of people felt that both Trump and Hillary were terrible choices. But somebody could say, okay, given the choices, that these two terrible choices, okay, I support Hillary, I support Trump, without being happy. You understand? Then you say to somebody, oh, why did you support Trump? Or why did you support Hillary? Yeah. And the answer would be, I didn't support him enthusiastically. I didn't support her enthusiastically. But you have to make a call. This year, I mean, uh, in this year's election, Shoinka called it for Kinsley Mogalo. How many people voted because Shoinka said to them, oh, vote the, for the now, Precisely. Like, absolutely but I mean, the way, people, the way it sounds down is like, yeah, you know, you've become not just a Mogalo uh, apologetic, you've also become a Shoinka apologetic, you know, which is, but it, it's, it's, it's good to know his positions on things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to know what's in the book. And yeah. It's great to know the reasons why. I mean, it's 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 what what's it like? One hundred pages plus, right? No, it's one hundred and seventy. Um, one hundred and seventy pages. So it's one hundred and seventy pages. So mm-hmm. you know, it's good to know the prime, which we, we get a lot of the premise. I think. I mean, my 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 take is that there's the even though a lot has been written about Shringo, mm-hmm. um very few has been. It's kind of like I don't call it just an enigma, but. One of the, the a lot of the greats are never understood till they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think Shoinka is probably one of the greats. Definitely one of the. I think he's definitely one of the greats. Um, not just in Nigeria, that's that's settled. But yeah. he's one of the greats um, in our world. Shoinka in drama, you know, is is clearly one of the great dramatists of, a lot, of our a, age. Exactly, there's a lot to him. There's a lot of people need to get into not just being a dramatist. Not just and he's being a philosopher. A philosopher. He's written actually. Uh, part of what makes Shoinka interesting for me 
and I think this is turning into a Shoinka conversation. It wasn't. It wasn't it, supposed it, it, to be that. It's going to. It's turning to a Shoinka. Yes. Um, it wasn't uh, supposed to be that uh, slumber party. But part of what part of what made makes Shoinka interesting for me is that as a writer, right? Yeah. He um no genre, no sector of writing is, is foreign to him. So he's written two novels, he's written numerous plays, he's written poetry, uh, extraordinary poetry, he's written uh, his autobiography, his memoirs, he's written critical uh, literary criticism, he's written journalism, he's done a movie, you know, so he's a total artist in that sense. So Shoinka can take a form and feel that form. And he's done uh, polemic, political polemic, social polemic, cultural polemic. Um, so the range of uh, forms of writing in which he's expressed himself is truly impressive. It is. It is worth looking at, definitely. And in Africa, the only writer who comes close in terms of that kind of breath is Ngugi Watyongo, who again has written poetry, has written drama, has written fiction, has written um, theoretical uh, literary theory, has written autobiography, and so on and so forth, and memoirs. That's true. That's true. Definitely what reading, man. Definitely what looking at, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's what we're looking at. I think um, y'all should People should go out and um, pick up the book. It's worth it. Uh, I don't know how much it costs right now on the market. So uh, the, man lives, uh, on the man lives. Conversation uh, with Shanker. A conversation with Wale And in the US, I think it's... Um, $12.50 on Amazon. Yeah, uh, it's, it's even cheaper than I love uh, a Starbucks latte. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's worth it. Um, I assume that there definitely will be the audio book out if it's not out already. The audio book, yeah, they... Um, the audio is not out. What's out is the uh, electronic copy. So, the, so, so you can get the electronic copy. You can get copy. it on your Kindle. Yes, precisely. All that stuff is fantastic. Yes. Definitely take a look at it. Um, we had talked about doing a documentary about writing the book and about showing care about doing a full <coughs> a full um, 4K grade documentary. Um Obviously, the funding didn't come in. That's just the truth of the matter. Um, so your sponsors, man. So we're still looking. We're still for looking funds. on that. Yeah. Going, uh, I think it's a fan- it's a fantastic project, and we didn't want to half heart half heartedly do it. We didn't want to. We we didn't want to. We didn't want to half heartedly do it. So yeah. I think so. A lot of good stuff inside it. Hopefully, the uh, this will be out soon. Um, yeah, we were you know the sponsors, man. We're going to definitely do a documentary. Um, and you know we're we're growing as a media outfit. That's right, media and uh, digital outfit. We're growing, and that's the intent. Um, so hopefully we get it done. I think it's um, a. a I, I think you know much I know about Shrinka. It's um, a, a lot of courageous things he has done. Not just complain on WhatsApp or Facebook. He's gone out and done stuff mm-hmm. at a very young age, and maybe he's eighty-five now. And, and continues to do it. Continues and to speak. Definitely continues to speak and do it. You know, um, 
you know but yeah that that's destiny you know we we did promise last time that we would talk about the post-election update go to nigeria take a look at stuff um and we did one very late and it's almost the year after the elections mm-hmm. and yeah we know well you know the supreme court finally um validated um buhari's election yep um I think that given Nigeria's history of judicial timidity, that that validation was a foregone conclusion that it was coming. The Nigerian courts have never had the courage. Uh, Whatever level of egregious electoral malpractice um, attends an election, the Nigerian judiciary has never had the courage to call it a nullity. And so I wasn't expecting different. Um, uh, I wasn't expecting anything different. Um, I think that it was a huge uh, loss for uh, both judicial integrity as well as um, electoral credibility in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it was clear that um, it's clear to me that Nigeria every four years continues to squander um, huge resources in what are called elections, but ultimately amount to selections, really. Yep. Um, and that we we have to figure out a way of um, and ultimately to it because it's possible right we we have uh, in the country in the world technology that should make it possible for votes to be counted at a polling booth those votes to be uh, results to be announced everybody representing every party to take a picture of those results till you get to the next level of collation and pictures are taken, reflecting all the uh, results that have come from polling boots and then ultimately at the state level and the national level. So the fact that in some places uh, there'll be 500 voters, but by the time you get to levels of collation, Thousands of votes have been added, and Nigerians settle for this. You know, it's it's frustrating for me because, on the one hand, we pretend, all of us pretend that we're living in uh, in an electoral democracy. The truth is that this is no different from military rule, where the person, the incumbent, especially the incumbent at the center, calls to his uh, aid the resources of the DSS, of the police, and of the military to steal elections. And once those elections are stolen, because they have access to the state resources um, and they're able to manipulate the judiciary uh, considering the timidity of the judiciary that they these uh, particularly you know these clearly uh, inflated often clearly fraudulent um, electoral 
um, outcomes are then announced or are upheld as, as legitimate. Um, democracy is costing Nigeria, and I, I use democracy in quotes, it's costing Nigeria too much. And another Actually, for me, when I say it's costing Nigeria too much, I'm not talking specifically or I'm not talking necessarily of uh, in financial terms. Too many Nigerians die every election cycle. Too many Nigerians, you know. Of course, these are uh, poor people who are hired as thugs by one political party or another or who become victims of thugs hired by uh, a political party or another. Uh, but a situation where you hold an election and 50 people die in some states uh, and hundreds die and some of them are poor youth corps members who are acting as collation officials uh, for INEC and they lose their lives and our country just continues we you know we drink our beer we eat our pepper soup as, as if things were fine you know so the country I don't, I don't I don't think people think I think their solution is to like like there's a huge Huge flight right now. Uh, like you were in Nigeria, you know. Mm-hmm. I was I was in Nigeria this year. And it was everybody wants to leave. Everyone, but that that's not a solution, right? That, yeah. But so so that's actually uh, for me part of the disconnect. I was in Nigeria in January. I buried my mother in January of this year, and I used the opportunity. Uh, interacting with different people and ultimately with some groups. I was invited to address the Rotary Club of Victoria Island. And one of the things I said to the Rotary Club, I said to, I said to them, so, you know, the elections are coming up. Who are you going to vote for? And their response was, oh, you know, there are actually only two candidates, Buhari and uh, Atiku. And I said, that's not true. Nigeria has 40-something political parties. Okay, and I said to them, "How about somebody like Kinsley Moralu? How about Durotoye? Um, um, you know." So I named a few candidates, and they said, "Oh, but they don't have what it takes." I said, "What does it take?" They, they don't have structure, and I said to them, "When we say structure in Nigeria, what do we mean? We basically mean somebody doesn't have money." Okay, yeah, you haven't had the money, therefore you don't have people at local uh, levels that you pay, right? So I said to these people, this is a Rotary Club of v- Victoria Island. These are professionals, you know, corporate types, doctors, you know, lawyers, and you know, co- you know, um, management staff of different uh, big corporations in Lagos. I said to them, you all send videos on WhatsApp and all kinds of nonsense to your friends. I said, how about you choose a candidate who is really enlightened, a candidate who has a program, an understanding of the way that the modern world works, and you send a hundred friends of yours an email a text message or whatever and you say listen let's support Tobe Pashua let's support Kinsley Morgalo 
Okay. And you say to them, this, this, these are the reasons I think we should support this person. And you say to your friends, consider this seriously. And if you agree, send it to a hundred of your friends. I say, what are you doing? You are creating a structure for this person. You are becoming, and I'm again talking about what Wolishonika did. As a private citizen, he didn't have a group discussing, let's go storm the radio station. Shoika acted alone, what he himself describes as the tragic dare, you know. So, let's start doing a bit of that. But Nigerians will just relax. We're too busy laughing at the jokes we circulate on WhatsApp silly state things showing women with big buttocks and so on and it, I mean it, it's really so 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 we circulate such things and then our country is going down and we start complaining and we want to run out of the country where has that been a solution anywhere in the world well apparently people think it's a solution I mean just go somewhere to, to it's, it's a desperation it's not a solution. So it's it's a year out from the almost a year out from the elections. Um, mm-hmm. Buhari is not getting better, from all accounts. Yeah, he's not getting any close to getting better. Um, where do you see this thing headed in the next year? Well, it's twenty. It's twenty twenty three. He just won this year, so he has three yeah. years to go. But what do you think? What, what do you see this headed next year? I'm not thinking three years down the line. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking. Wow. Even though, you know, it's Nigeria and you expect Barry to see how it's term even worse yeah. than he started. Yeah. But when you see this headed next year, do you think the economy gets better? Do you think... Because I have people who... I have a, a family friend who walked out here for years and then went back there and walked... That's this, this is... Well, I mean, it's family friend's mom. Yeah. Um, more like relative, actually. But anyway, she goes back there and then she... All of a sudden, she's back in America. Uh-huh. Like, but she's retired. Yes. Enough now. Yes. She's retired. She's close out to seventy. Mm-hmm. At least mid sixties, and she's retired. She's like, yes, yeah, coming. I'm like, you're not supposed to be like enjoy. She's even, I think, around for Christmas. Yeah. Or back, I'm not sure. But I think she was around for Thanksgiving anyway. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, she's tired. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, she's tired. Like sixty five, you know. Yeah. Even she doesn't want to stay there. Mm-hmm. She's here on her, with that with that green card and all that stuff, man. Shout out to them just in case they, they <laughs> in case you know who you are. <laughs> shout out to you. <laughs> you know, you know. I, it's it's interesting to me. Like even those ones, like nobody wants to stay there. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's insane to me. Yeah. Sitting down, like so. What you see is headed. I mean, what what's going to happen? It's going. But going into 2020, I expect a shit. Well, yes, part of my French, but I expect a shitload of uh, hey, happy 2020. Yeah, <laughs> messages. Yeah, and I expect Th- this all is, this, this is your yeah. <laughs> you're gonna win. You know, you're gonna yeah, win. Yeah, you know, just that's your year. Of the chain once, mm-hmm. just don't stop sending it to other people. Mm-hmm. Since if you receive it, yeah. send it to me yeah. and ten other people. Yeah, you know, like, um, like this is not going to work. Mm. Um, well. One wants to be an eternal optimist. That's, that's one's inclination. And it helps one because if you take an objective measure of the tragedy in progress in Nigeria, uh, it, it devastates you. It, uh, you, you, you're left disillusioned. 
in a very profound way. And so, but, but let's speak objectively. Objectively, there is very little reason to be hopeful. Buhari's record in human rights this year with the um, attacks on journalists, on... Another matter thing, the attacks on people, arrests on people. Arrests, the defiance of court orders. The fact that in the, for the first time, I don't remember any time in Nigeria's history where what happened in court a couple of weeks ago where DSS officials, agents, storm a court to re-arrest somebody who had just been granted bail the previous day. So that, that's and wait a minute, let, yeah. let me finish. And Buhari is not outraged to fire people, to fire the man who heads the DSS as a way, I mean, even if you order the thing, to recognize that you have cost your government such profound embarrassment. Okay, so 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 this is something um, obviously if you follow Nigerian events in any way, if you came across we're talking about Shori, mm-hmm. you know, who you know you, you had a, a sort of working relationship with and all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And the video circulated where people all most people identified DSS group uh, people arresting Shori in court. Yes. However I have seen people debunking that, saying those people were not DSS guys. So who were they? And even the DSS itself, mm-hmm. the DSS came out with a public relations communication statement yes. saying uh, it wasn't their people. Okay. Okay, but that actually, that's actually very, very upsetting. You know, after two courts granted Shawara bail, yes. And he met the conditions. The first judge pretty much said he should be let go only to submit his passport. Then the second judge, you know, put out that kinds of conditions. The DSS for weeks continued to hold him. And they began to make all kinds of statements. In one, they said, oh, Dashore really wants to stay with them. Okay. In another one, they said, oh, if he goes out there, he might be killed. He might be attacked by, by somebody. Another one, they said, oh, nobody has come for him. Do you understand? So the Nigerian government, because I, rep- I, I take it that the DSS represents the will of the Nigerian government. If they didn't, the Nigerian government would have fired people. How do you tell such blatant lies? Okay, and nobody gets held accountable. How do you say that the people who came to the court were not DSS agents, but Showare's lawyer drove Showare that day to the DSS, and the DSS is still holding him till today? If the people who went to court to rearrest him are just agents acting on their own, okay, then this is a trial where the DSS is a party. The DSS legitimate officials should have arrested those people posing to be DSS. Have they shown us the people that they arrested? The people's faces were there. Do you understand? So it's an insult on our intelligence 
to tell us that, that those who did this were not DSS officials. At any rate, if it was not the DSS, then when the lawyer drove Shogore back to their offices, they would have said, no, we don't want him. He's granted bail. Take him away, right? Yes. Well, they're holding him as we speak. Well, I mean, they're not denying that they were going to re-arrest him. Okay. What they're saying is that they were not going to re-arrest him in court. They were not going to disrespect the court. And yeah. I'm just, I'm reading from their statements. I'm not... Well, yeah, I'm which, not is, which is an insult. We should, just, we should just tell them what it is. You are insulting our intelligence and you are idiots to think that we'll buy this. The people who issued that statement, I, I can tell them that they are idiots. I can't, I can't find words enough to say how insulted I am as, as a thinking person that they will think that they will issue that kind of statement and anybody would so believe So for those that don't, that don't know the Shorey case, yes. Shorey is the um, publisher of Sahara Sahar Reporters. Reporters website. Whatever you may or you may not think of it, that's not the conversation here. Um, we could obviously we could always have that conversation about what you and, and I think we've actually touched on it before in previous episodes mm-hmm. um, and he went to Nigeria to protest the the state of the government and the state of the economy yeah um, which any reasonable person is not going to deny about that um, in fact today I was looking at a snapshot of the appropriations how uh, I think to renovate the National Assembly is going to be 35 billion isn't it billion. yeah and then health is going to be like 40, 41 billion mm. so to renovating where the National Assembly sits is the same thing as what the government appropriates on health. health for Nigerians yeah and it's about the same way they spend on education for Nigeria, <laughs> which you know, it, it's, it, it, it's, but you know, he, he went out to protest and um, the DSS's problem is that they said the language, the language he used was to incite something. You know, he said uh, revolution. Revolution now. Revolution now, which... Um, yes, okay, I know I like English to a certain degree. <laughs> uh, to me, revolution noun doesn't mean what it seems they are trying to make it mean, the DSS and the Nigerian government. It just seems to mean what it's supposed to mean, which is an abrupt change. Things need to change abruptly because the situation needs it. In this case, mm-hmm. re- referring to this case, mm-hmm. that would be. I need to probably check a check the Webster's dictionary, um, Merriam dictionary. But that would be my own knowledge of revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, a revolution is action that um, is dramatic, dramatic that is supposed to inspire an, an abrupt change mm-hmm. because the direction is headed. So, but they took it to mean that he wants to. Change a government unconstitutionally. Exactly. The, the, the key thing there is that un- mm-hmm. unconstitutional, mm-hmm. which is which is not what I have seen from that. Give or take, man. Yes, in full disclosure, you know, somebody I know, I've worked with, interact with, interacted with to a certain degree. You know, I'm neither here nor there with him. It's somebody that doesn't live far away. Um, but um, in this case, it just seems like people are not 
to me, in my opinion, it seems like people in government definitely know they're not doing their jobs. They're doing it worse than the previous mm-hmm. administration. They mm-hmm. promise to do it better. Yeah. Or at least not be them. And they are worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By m- multiple times worse than mm-hmm. the previous guys. Yes. And they have nothing to do. So you need a straw man. And the straw man is anybody talking. At. In this case, which is sure already that came in. And, oh, well, he's defacing. Um, they arrested. They said he was pasting posters. And he got arrested also pasting posters, mm-hmm. which, to the best of my knowledge, pasting posters is not something that is a DSS matter. Yeah. Really. And it's not even something that takes a long prison term, a long incarceration, because he's not been sentenced, so it's not a prison term. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, supposed to be waiting to see, waiting to see a judge, you know, which is kind of weird. So for me, it's like. And he's been on TV in America as well. Um, senator from New Jersey, Menendez. Yeah, his wife was his just wife on, on CNN, on CNN yet, last night about or something. Um, I, I, I didn't even, I mean, I knew he has kids, but I didn't even know he had a wife, man. So, mm. you know, so uh, like I said, there's somebody have, but it's not, you know, so it's kind of interesting. Now, that's the, the showery thing. And looking at the government, it seems like. <laughs> I'm looking into okay, what's going to happen in 2020. I see a lot of middle class guys with good jobs all running to Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, Nigerians double at the highest amount of asylum seekers in Canada right now. Mm-hmm. And it's doubled in, number two. Yeah. More than double, actually. Yeah. Asylum seekers in Canada. Everybody's running because. Seeking asylum in America it's, yeah. it's a waste of time and, and, and you know yeah. so everybody's running to Canada right now seek asylum and actually um, on the southern border in the US uh, there's a huge Nigerian representation now in the, Mexico in, in Mexico yeah I'm people, not surprised even yeah. even you know I have relatives who have come here and who probably are taking stuff they'll be like yeah I should help them out and sign stuff in for an asylum app. I'm like even a couple of years ago I was telling people like yo I told people, I think, I told a couple of friends of mine, 2014, 15, before Trump, 15, mm-hmm. before Trump started seriously running, I'm like, yo, it, people are pissed off. Yes. And if you don't understand why people are pissed off, I think you should listen to like Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. I understand. People are pissed off. Things are changing in America at a rapid pace. Mundane jobs are going. Mm-hmm. You know, Monday, I'm telling you, mundane jobs are going. There's a company yeah. I used to work for, man, a bunch of mundane jobs. Mm-hmm. I don't call them mundane, but they're they're like moving them to like cheaper places, Greece, mm-hmm. that's India. Right. That's right. Um, people think of just India. I'm like people are, you know, they're going. People are angry mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. and when you're angry, you're not looking at the system and thinking, okay, how how can we transition? You're not going to tell if a 40 year old collect to go retrain. Uh, so I'm, I'm telling you, it's 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 interesting to listen to the way he thinks. Mm-hmm. Just listen to longer longer conversations with him on on podcast or anything. It's interesting. Um, Andrew Yang um, you know so people are angry mm-hmm. in America and things are changing and that's that's a large part of the anger that's a large part of this thing but you know back looking at the show rate thing and all that um, the, the government is not trying to make things better mm-hmm. the results are not there Mm-hmm. Yeah, banning days doing that. He talked yeah. about that mm-hmm. revolution and all that, and um, he got arrested. 
He's in prison. I think he's been in prison for like more than three, four months. Oh yeah, more than three months before he was granted bail, and now he's back in. And um, you know, and whatever you think of, I don't. I think people should have a fair hearing. Mm-hmm. People should have a fair hearing. Um, you know, basically, the our judiciary should have. Um, should have um, independence and and spine, and and judicial verdicts should be enforced, just like in any serious society. You can't have a judge granting somebody bail. The person meets the bail conditions, and the organization holding the person decides that they we're going to constitute ourselves into a superior court and second guess and indeed overrule the court that had given granted bail, yeah. you know, which is what we found in this case and in other cases, by the way. I mean, Shores has become sort of the, you know, the most widely globally uh, discussed case, but there are other Nigerians who are being held oh, you always, uh, you always illegally. Need, yeah, you always, you always need one case to, yeah. to you know. So, So as I was saying, um, that doesn't bode well because even if you're an investor and you're thinking of Nigeria as an environment and the government is giving you all the signs that it has no, uh, it doesn't believe in the rule of law, uh, you don't want to be in that space because if you happen, if you put in your money in Nigeria and then you have um, uh, a cost to go to court with one of your staff or something or one of your Nigerian local investors, you, you, you have no confidence at all that the government is going to enforce on your behalf a judgment that is favorable to you uh, for example, you know, so... Aside the fact it might take you years anyway to... Yeah, you know, of course, the Nigerian, Nigerian courts are notoriously... I mean, Ajikalu, um just got sentenced... Um, and he's still keeping his son, is it? Is he? Ojikalu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oji Sokalo is a senator. Yeah, for, you know, senator, former governor. Uh, and of, he, he used to... He walked... He used to... He, I think he still owns the Sun newspaper, right? Yeah, he owns... Which uh, you, your column used to Yeah, my column years. appeared in the Sun newspaper. Yeah. yeah. So he... He's been sentenced to prison and he wants to hold on to his sentence in prison. He's supposed to, not even just once. He's yeah, to yeah. Hold you know, on but to but we've seen all kinds of things. I mean, uh, of course, you know, Mishore, you know, came, was in detention and won a seat to the Senate, you know. Um, and and he was supposed to have signed a form appearing in an INEC office. He was in detention. So who signed the form for him, right? So Nigeria, again, and it takes, it, it's a matter of do Nigeria want to stop this nonsense or not because I still see Nigerians too invested in uh, ethnic and religious nonsense okay so if somebody who is in power is doing something wrong as a state governor at the federal level you still see a lot of Nigerians if they if the person is from the ethnicity is from their local government area is uh, a Christian or a Muslim like them we fight, we invent defenses for something that is clearly wrong just based on sentimental attachments, you know, sentimental affiliations. So we have to begin to... Uh, 
to adopt a standard where we say, if somebody does this and I consider it wrong, even if my own blood sibling, if my own sibling does the same thing, I must, it's my duty to say it is wrong. But that's theoretical. But anyway, look, it's not theoretical. Well, it's actually not. Th- Listen, I mean, the thing is, if, if you, you know, we're friends, right? Yeah. Okay. So I was close to a passenger at one point, the former Nigerian president. I was very close to him. Right, he was one of the writers for the magazine that I came to to the U.S. to edit. Chinua, the magazine that Chinua Achebe and Professor Barton Naji founded. Right, Obasanjo and I grew very close during that period. Obasanjo became president of Nigeria. He began to act with impunity. Now, if I considered, oh, I was close to this man. I'd been to Otta Farm to visit him at least twice. He came to my traditional wedding. Um, we interacted on so many levels. We, you know, we met at the first African-African-American summit. I mean, uh, yeah, African-African-American summit in Cote d'Ivoire. And I was in his hotel room editing the keynote that he gave. That's how close we were. But when Obasanjo became president and began to act with impunity, I felt it was my duty to state so. Do you understand? So some other people in my position would say, ah, I know the man, let me go get money. But I said, no, this man is running my country and is running it in ways that I find objectionable. Okay? When Ngige... Chris Ngige, was rigged in by the PDP as a governor of Anambra State over Peter Obi. Everybody I spoke to told me Peter Obi was elected. The PDP, using their power of incumbency, announced Ngige. I knew Ngige. I didn't know who Peter Obi was. I'd never met Peter Obi. But I started writing that Ngige was illegitimately in office. And I said that Peter Obi should never give up the quest to reclaim his mandate. I never knew Peter Obi until he reclaimed his mandate. And then one day he called me from London and I said, oh, thank you very much for speaking up courageously. Right? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, mutual friends of mine and Ngiga were calling me to calm me down. I said, no. I said, I have to act on principle. This man, if you are my friend and you haven't won an election and you are announced illegitimately, I can't be, you know, if you want... We can be friends, but when it, when we talk, I'll tell you, oh boy, you are holding an illegitimate office. You must give it up. And it is because Nigerians keep doing the, okay, this is my friend, even though he's illegitimate. Let me see what I can get from him. Okay? And when you get that thing, you know, let's say you get something big from, from the person. In the end, what you've done this is an analogy that I use again and again, is that you've seen yourself as a rat engaged in a rat race. So you say, ah, you know, my my friend rat is in control. Let me go get stuff from him. When you get stuff from your friend, okay, maybe you buy a house, nice house in Abuja. Maybe you buy some good cars. But guess what? A rat who won the rat race remains a rat. That's what I tell people. So you are living in a great house in Abuja. 
guess what? At some point, you have to come out of that house. You are driving a great car. Somebody is going to stop you who is suffering because you've created a system that is just insupportable, where people, too many people are suffering. That person is going to kidnap you or shoot you. And they say, ah, the guy, you know, made money. You know, look at, he died young. But it is partly part of what you did to make that money legitimately that created the conditions for you to die so quickly. And also creates conditions for those of us who act in a principled manner also to become victims. So the truth is, those of us who are enlightened at some point must say, We must say, those of us who are enlightened and also educate other people, that no society progresses, no social organism progresses without self-denial. As a parent of three kids, right? Mm -hmm. My wife and I could have chosen to buy big new cars. Right? Mm-hmm. But maybe if we bought those cars, we won't have money to send our children to universities. Right? Okay. So we say we're going to deny ourselves. We're going to manage with the small cars we drive. So our kids, we can give them the best education to stand them, to stand, you know, give them the opportunity to stand in the world. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with society. When you are a governor, you have all kinds of opportunities to steal public funds. You have to say to yourself, I must discipline myself because the people whose lives I'm presiding over are human beings, okay? If workers are not paid on time or if they are not paid adequately and if I don't provide medical services, ultimately, you suffer because, I mean, there have been cases in Nigeria where people had car accidents. What's the medical system in Nigeria? If you are, if you are sick, you are flown abroad. That's the medical Governor system in Nigeria. There's, there's, there's not one hospital in all of Nigeria where any person in, our, in, in office in Nigeria wants to be admitted in. Yeah. Not one. I just heard that an in-law that lost his eye over just... Precisely. So, 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 they, stuff, so they steal so, so much, they steal so much money. Though. They steal so yeah, much money. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they steal so much money so they tell themselves, oh, if I get sick or my wife gets sick or my relatives, I'll fly them to the US. I'll fly them to Canada. I'll fly them to England. Guess what? You have a stroke. You need treatment, good treatment immediately. You have a heart attack. You need good treatment immediately. Before you are ready to buy a ticket and buy a flight, it's too late. So out of even self-interest, these idiots ought to start behaving better and differently. But everybody goes there because what happens is that our elections select the worst of us. It's the worst of us who get elected because they are willing to kill. They're willing to hire thugs. You know, if you're enlightened, you don't want to act that way. But those of us who are enlightened, who then do what? Enable these idiots to get into office and run our lives. Those of us must band together and say, this mess has got to stop. And it, what it's going to take fundamentally is actually a, a revolution of the self. You have to say, I mean, I have friends 
in Nigeria who have been in big public offices, okay, as ministers, as governors, and so on. I don't ask anybody for anything. I've never asked anybody. I don't. I won't ask you to give a job to my relative. I won't ask you to give me a contract because I want to be a cousin of mine was a minister, you know, for women affairs a few years ago. And I had written something critical of the wife of the president. Mm-hmm. And she called me and said, okay, uh, everybody knows you are my cousin and you've written this thing. Do you want them to fire me? I said to her, I said, Obama is the president of America. I'm one year older than Obama. I said, Obama doesn't check with his cousins in Kenya before he decides what to do in America as president. I said, so if you tell the president and his wife that because I'm your cousin, before I write any column, I'll consider how it affects you, then let them fire you. And I said to her, by the way, I said, if you do something wrong, I'll write against it. She said, ah, you, will at- you, you can attack me. I said, I said, if I have written a column and then I find that you, my cousin, you've done something egregious, I said, I'll tear up the column I wrote and write one against you. And she said, ah, you are a madman. No. I said, that's what you call madness. That's what I call, that sanity in my dictionary. You know, so, but Nigerians don't want to do that. So Nigerians, as I said before, I, I've, I've written columns where I will take on an outside politician who has done something bad and I'll criticize him. Igbo people will heap praises on me. Some Yoruba people will heap praises. The next week I'll, I'll, I'll take on a Yoruba politician or I'll, I'll be an idiot to the Yoruba people. The next week I'll take on an Igbo politician. The Igbos will call me, you know, useless person, you know. But we must say at some point, that there are standards, that there are principles, you know? And I don't accept if my own sibling runs an election, I'll support him if he's good, if he has a good program, but by, by golly, if my own relative gets rigged in, Count me out. I will not celebrate it. I will not accept it. I will encourage the real winner to pursue and reclaim his or her mandate. I mean, that's that's good. That's principle. Um, you know, but Nigeria is Nigeria. It's a, its own beast. So we will see how it goes. And um, you know, that's principle. That you you feel Nigeria should take uh, principle. Principles, you know, amongst uh, above every other thing. So um, we'll see how it goes. The end of the year, uh, Justin probably, but definitely, I doubt if we're going to do an episode this year. So hopefully, it's going to be January. Yeah. So um, you know, yeah, I wish everybody happy holidays. And well, I don't think I'm trying to be politically correct. Merry Christmas. I just think it's best that way. I'm a Christian, <laughs> and I wish people Merry Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, Merry whatever you celebrate. But yeah. I celebrate Christmas, and I accept Merry Christmas. I I, I wish everybody happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I just I wish happy holidays. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, if you're a Catholic, um, are you a Christian? It's Merry Christmas. <laughs> if you are, uh, if you feel it's Merry Christmas, that is Merry Christmas. But for me, too, it's Happy Holidays. So enjoy yourself. <laughs> um, hopefully, we'll see you in the new year. We'll see where things go. It'll be more interesting to see the more recent developments and um, talk about it in the new year. So sure, then. Great talking with you. Great. Thanks. 
Thank you very much, man. It's been a delight. All right. Yeah.